Good day, this is Kelly Daynert with Pearls and Swine site. Good to have you with us today, and I'm going to be reading Kate's story, PCC's Dirty Little Secret. And this is part two of a three-part series uh, that I have written on uh, this particular experience of Kate and Michael Williams. Uh, just so you remember, uh, these are all fictitious names, places, Etc. Uh, the uh, I want to protect the identity of those who have told their stories, so that you may also apply the principles. This is not intended uh, to attack their churches, but to provide some principles for those who are suffering under toxic leadership, that they might know how to respond, uh, that they might be validated in their own experiences, realizing that it's abuse and they're not crazy. Etc. So, anyway, let's get started. It has been two years since the Williams left Peace Community Church. They would have remained silent had the abusive leadership not proceeded to crush others the Williams love. She said, uh, Kate said, Michael and I loved being at Peace Community Church. We loved the community, the worship, and a place to serve. We were deeply hurt that we felt we could no longer stay there. All at once, we lost a place of worship, a church community, fellowship with people we loved, and we lost ministries that we felt God had called and gifted us to serve in. So we carry on with Kate's story of pastoral abuse. Just as we see in the Garden of Eden, we tend to blame shift when confronted for our sin. That's in Genesis 3. Toxic leaders make an art of it. What the Williams discovered is that abusive leaders will often change the narrative from his or her verbal abuse to the persons that they have attacked sins and call the attack a conflict. It is just another form of blame shifting where the attention is placed on the offended and taken off the offender. Pastor Ansome wrote one email to the Williams where he described the experience of a member who came to his house and later told others that he had yelled at her. He complained to the Williams that his wife and daughter were in an adjoining room, and they said Ansome didn't yell at the woman. Pastor Ansome has both admitted to and others have described his anger. It does not come out necessarily in a loud voice, but in attitude and words. In his email telling of the story, he basically admitted to examples of a significant problem for his leadership, anger. And you can see Titus 1, 7 through 8 for that. But he skillfully wove the narrative to once again make himself a saint and the woman a liar. The confrontation at his house wasn't about his sin, what, he was com- what she was confronting him for, but rather about the woman's perception of his response. In doing so, he made sure it was understood that he was the humble one and the persecuted one, effectively shifting the blame. In an email three months later, the pastor continued the spiritual abuse, misusing scripture to badger and excuse his poor shepherding, shifting the blame to Kate. He said in the email, Jesus knows you, 
and all that you have done for him. Really, that is all that matters. If my words turn out to be false, then your honor in the service to Christ is all the greater. You are the only one who can fail to walk with integrity with Christ. I really have no power to destroy what matters to you and to the Lord Jesus. My words really make little difference, if any. Notice the sleight of hand he uses here. While supposedly apologizing and entitling the email encouragement, Pastor Nsome in essence told Kate that his words don't mean anything. It is her fault if she does damage to the integrity of her walk with God. It is her fault. The blame for her deep hurt is found in Kate doing damage to herself, not in his words. Pastor Nsome has no culpability for his words. As Kate said, a pastor's words carry a lot of weight. She said, especially a pastor whom I had respected, admired, and trusted. How could my pastor say such hurtful things in such a mean and cold manner? Well, this is why Paul and James suggest teachers and leaders should have more accountability. We find that in James 3, 1 and 1 Timothy 3 and in 5. A pastor's words have special authority. Kate shared with me, he told me that my eyes emanated judgment. So for weeks after that meeting, I questioned what I looked like to people when I was talking to them. He stated that John, an elder, who I also respected, had issues with me. But John emphatically responded that he did not. He told me the staff pastor had told him I could get along with the, couldn't get along with the ladies that I had poured so much of my heart and energy into serving. Though the staff pastor told me he never said anything like this to Pastor Nsome. And yet, Pastor Nsome suggests that words will never hurt her. The only way his words can hurt her is if she is spiritually weak. So now it is her fault. When Pastor Nsome told Kate the staff pastor and Elder John both had difficulties with her, he effectively isolated her. One of the most common and effective means of controlling the narrative is by forcing the victim into their own little bubble where there is no help, or so it seems. Kate, for a time, thought she was alone in her struggle with Pastor Nsome. She and Michael had no one to advocate for them. According to the pastor, everyone was against her. But fortunately, the truth won out as both the staff pastor and the other elder, John, made it clear to her that they had nothing against her. In addition, the longtime member shared common stories of abuse with her. Though we do not want to depend on others, rather than Christ, for our strength, God has made us for community and for bearing of one another's burdens. And so... Kate and Michael can no longer keep silent. Kate and Michael have learned that their silence for the past two years is not helping the body of Christ. Though they have gotten free of Pastor Nsome's abusive leadership, they are determined to stand by those who are continuing to suffer under his misuse, misuse of spiritual authority. Just as others suffered before the Williams showed up on the scene, there are others who continue to face Pastor Nsome's wrath now. 
including two recent employees. One has resigned and another has been fired. Kate said, Pastor Nsome's word took away from me part of my identity and undermined the loving relationships I had with those I, whom I served. He damaged my trust in others in positions of authority. We have come to realize that it may not be in the best interest of PCC for us to remain silent because keeping silent may actually be hurting the church if Pastor Nsome is allowed to stay in his position of power. It's a risk to stand up against someone who has authority. There is real danger, but this is the way of the cross, to risk harm in order to seek truth and healing for others who are not free. As a friend of theirs helpfully shared, there is no neutrality with this sort of sin. You either confront the abuse or you enable and embolden it. Silence only serves the abuser Sin grows in the dark. When I ask Kate what scripture has been helpful as she has sought healing, she mentioned Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. She explained, He truly was, in the early days after Pastor Nsome's attack, my rock and refuge. She also added that she felt ministered to by Psalm 34. It helped her to remember to praise him every day and remember his faithfulness and goodness. Kate said verses 17 and 18 in particular were promises to hold on to. Even though this was a painful experience, there was sweetness to it because the Lord's presence became such a comfort. Like many of the psalmists, survivors of leadership and domestic abuse, can know that the Lord hears prayer and he knows what it means to be cruelly abused and mistreated. He has faced it himself. But unlike others who have survived abuse, the Lord is powerful and able to bring vindication from the deep wells of his love for his people. Part three of this series will be coming out very soon. Hope you enjoyed this. I hope it's helpful to you. I hope it brings courage and encouragement to you. Thanks for listening.